Hello and welcome to the Noise Creators Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Cadden, and today my guest is Ray Harkins. You may know Ray from his band Taken, as well as the 100 Words or Less podcast, which I'm a big fan of. Ray and I talk about lots of things, including Taken's new release, why they're making new music again after all these years, the future of podcasting, and a whole lot of other interesting things. If you're not familiar with Ray's stuff, I highly recommend you go to your favorite streaming service and check out Taken's new single. They have a new record coming out in a few weeks. And as well, if you're not familiar with his podcast, if you like this podcast, I guarantee you, you will like his podcast too. So go over there and check it out. Before we get started, I want to let you know, you probably have noticed in this podcast feed that some chapters of my last book, Processing Creativity, have been coming up. Till July 1st, I'm going to be leaving those in this podcast feed for free. I'm just hoping to get the word out about this book some more. So till July 1st, it's free. Or if you like eBooks, it is 99 cents on Amazon till July 1st. After that, Price is going back up. If you can please, please, please help spread the word. If you're enjoying it, I would really appreciate it. New chapters go up every single Monday. Thanks and enjoy this episode. Hey, one second before we get started with this interview. Noise Creators is able to do these cool podcasts because we're a service and we're trying to get the word out about our service to people. So if you enjoy this podcast, it's really, really important that you share it to people so more people can get to know what we're doing trying to connect musicians with producers to make better music and make better records for you all to listen to. So please, please, please help us out. If you like this and like what we're doing, share it, tweet it, Facebook it, Instagram it, tumble it, whatever you like to do, do that. As well, we're going to start doing a really cool thing. If there's a great quote from these podcasts that you really enjoy, put it on a graphic, tweet it, Facebook it, take a picture of it, and send it to us at Noise Creators on every single one of the social networks. And what we're going to do is we're going to share the best ones. And if you're one of the best ones, we're going to send you a list of prizes we have. We have a bunch of cool, rare things from bands that aren't as much of a use to us. We have a couple of extras of rare pressings of vinyl, all sorts of cool stuff. You can choose from a list and we'll send that out to you for free if you share a really cool quote that we like and we use. Thanks so much for helping out and please, please, please help us spread the word on our service. Thanks. So you meet somebody who's kind of clueless. How do you tell them what you do with your life? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, usually, I mean, if I'm explaining it to a person with like no context for independent music, mm -hmm. I usually have to do a little more, you know, work from it's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I, I work in, in podcasting and then, you know, I also do a bunch of music stuff. And so I, I kind of, you know, in very general terms, just describe to people. Uh, you know, because it's usually, and I know you experience this as well, where it's like, you have to start with kind of the base level information of like, do you, have you heard of a podcast before? <laughs> if people go, oh yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Then it's like, oh, okay. Then, you know, we can dive in a little bit deeper. Um, so yeah, but generally speaking from a full-time job perspective, uh, I work for a company called Midroll. It does mm -hmm. a podcast advertising and production. And then obviously I do my own show and then uh, manage producers and yeah, just a wide variety of fun stuff, including, you know, yelling in a hardcore band as well. <laughs> nice. So why don't you give a little bit more history for that, uh, about all that, uh, for people who don't know you? Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, from the podcast perspective, I host a show called 100 Words or Less, the podcast, um, which in retrospect, the name is horrible <laughs> and no one has any idea what that actually means. I mean, fortunately, I have a 
graphic for the show that most people could probably look at and be like, oh, there's records. Like, it's probably related to music in some capacity. But, you know, most people don't do essays in schools anymore that have that teacher in front of them saying, in 100 words or less, tell me about this thing. So, anyways. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought like, it, when I, when I first saw the name on Property of Zach, I thought it was just like a really short podcast. I'm like, oh, that could be cool. I'll add that. <laughs> so, dude, for sure. And so many people have asked me that. And it's it, like... I, I used to get not offended by it, but I used to be like, oh, yeah, like what? Come on. What podcast is how to work? It's like, well, it's the dumb title, dude. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, but the show you know, does a very similar function to, you know, what you do in regards to uh, speaking to people who are involved in independent music. Obviously, you're coming at it from the, you know, more uh, creative side of things. Uh, I kind of try to, you know build a picture of why a person is engaged with this, you know, weird subculture and why they still, you know, hold its importance as they grow older. Um, so yeah, that's a fun thing. I've been doing that now for, uh, it's close to six years now, which is awesome. Um, that's been going on that long. Um, and then, yeah, I sing for a hardcore band called Taken. We, I guess, reactivated ourselves in about 2010, 2011, and then uh, slowly and but surely piece together a new EP that we're going to be releasing at the end of April. And um, yeah, so it's just <laughs> it's the everything is tangentially related to music, which is always fun to kind of like trace the lineage back of why you got involved in the first place, you know, but it's like at the end of the day, I'm just like, oh, yeah, it's because I started to, you know, go to weird shows when I was 14 or 15 years old. And I think many people can understand that that thought process. Yes. So. With that, though, then, so why rekindle, take it instead of do something new or et cetera, et cetera? Like, what's the reason behind uh, having new music all these years later? Sure. The uh, Yes, we initially broke up and stopped playing in about 2004, and that was just because school, life, everything gets in the way. And uh, even though we had things that we were looking forward to, like, you know, we were going to sign with the militia group and we were going to tour Europe and all these other things. But then, you know, basically an original member left and our guitarist left and it just, yeah, it fell apart from there. So it, I played a band after that uh, called Makoto. We released like a full length and an EP and, you know, we, we did our fair share of touring and had some experiences, but kind of what started the idea of taking doing stuff again was I went over to Japan uh, with Makoto and the shows there were unbelievable. We toured off a, off a demo over there, which is like so stupid. I can't even like it, it made no sense to me. Like the label that Taken was on was a label called Goodfellow Records. And they said that, oh, yeah, like, you know, we're selling a decent amount of records in Japan. And I was like, what does that even mean? Like two records in Japan for me is like, <laughs> I can't even believe that that's even a thing. And so when I went over there, I, you know, the shows were unbelievable and people were very enthusiastic about Makoto, but people were like, yeah, I like Makoto, but Taken. And I was like, really? Like, <laughs> oh, okay. And I heard it just kind of echo, you know, over the whatever weeks worth of shows that we played. And so then the guy that brought us over, I was like, you know, would, would this be interesting? Like if Taken were to come over here and he's like, oh yes, it would be, you know, a very big deal. It'd be fun and you know, everything else. And so when I got back home, I, you know, kind of hit all the Taken dudes because we didn't hate each other. We just, you know, life got in the way. And so basically we did a tour in 2008, I want to say, you know, did some shows here in the States and did some up in Canada, then went over to Japan. And so uh, the reason I'm kind of laying it out like this is just because it was a slow sort of, you know, roll. And once we started to come to the idea that it's like, well, yeah, we don't need to be this like full time band, like we can exist in this world and play shows when it makes sense. Um, but ultimately, 
the idea of not being that band that comes back every two to three years and plays their hometown show and it's super fun and never puts out new music and it was like i don't want to be one of those bands like it, it just feels at that point like you know you're the the local bar cover band on a saturday <laughs> night or whatever and that's exactly and so, what most of us are rebelling against. So that's not good. Totally. Yeah. And it's like, I didn't, and not even so much the, for the fact that like we wanted to be quote unquote relevant in, you know, today's music climate or whatever. We never had that sort of notion just because there was no pressure from a business perspective to be like, oh yeah, we gotta, you know, we gotta release a record in order to make sure that we can tour for the next 300 days or whatever. It was, that was never, it <laughs> was never part of our, our equation. And so then once we started to, yeah, basically get together every so often, play some shows occasionally, um, they just, uh, I remember walking into practice one day when we were rehearsing for some, uh, like a festival we were doing in Japan, the dudes had just like had this music that they were playing. And I was like, this sounds like Taken, but this this isn't a song I recognize. And I was like, what, what are you doing? Why are, you, are you writing new songs? And they were like, yeah, like we just, just kind of came out and it was like, what the hell are you like? We're not even a band. Why are we? Why are you guys like? And this was before we had really kind of discussed the idea of like doing new music, and so that happened in like 2010. And so we had all these skeletons of songs over the years, and then finally it was like 2016. I want to say earlier in the year, I was like, all right, we tried this whole writing over the internet thing. It was atrocious. No one could actually do it because. So since so, so this is a geeky geeky podcast, why don't you tell me what was failing about it? It was failing because basically everyone was working in their own silos. So we had, you know, our bassist Nick plays in Circus Survive. And so clearly, you know, he's a professional musician and knows how to do a lot of stuff from a technical aspect. And so he, you know, he would record some ideas on his end. And then, you know, our guitarist would record some ideas. And basically everyone was working, um, even though everybody was sending their ideas around, there was no um, real deep collaboration um, just because in my opinion, for a variety of reasons, one, because maybe one person had a larger set of skills to be and access to a studio and, you know, all this other stuff that maybe other people didn't have. So there was no level playing field. Um, and I'm, spe I'm speaking from an outside observer because I don't create any music. Like I am the, uh, what I like to call the third party editor where it's like, I can be like, Hey, that part's a little too long. Maybe we should cut this off or maybe we should add another thing here. You know, I'm kind of listening into it as an outside observer, um, but with a you know very close seat <laughs> at the table. It's an and important so, role. No, I, and honestly, I really, um, as much as people, uh, you know, maybe don't enjoy that position in a band because there are some people I know who kind of like struggle with that, and then they you know try to like write music on their own, but they're maybe not as good as other guitarists or whatever. I just never felt that compulsion because I was like, yeah, like you know, whatever. A song could be ninety five percent done, and I'm taking it that additional, you know four to five percent to the finish line and i felt you know i felt really good about that because i trust them at the end of the day too i'm just like yo the stuff you the, the reason you're in the band is because you're awesome at what you do so like why am i gonna get in there and be like oh yeah dude more power chords it's like no no no, no. bad idea so i think yeah everyone was doing their own things in their own silos and i i, I just knew that collectively it would make our lives so much easier if we just basically locked ourselves in a rehearsal studio for like a weekend, you know, basically Friday, Saturday, Sunday, like everyone's flying out to Southern California, locking ourselves away, you know, doing 12 hour days, just trying to bang these songs out. Cause we had enough material I felt, but it wasn't, um, it, yeah, like I said, it wasn't being collaboratively worked on. And then, you know, there's 
clearly in this day and age of technology, people can share so many things and so many projects have launched and you know been released and have been incredibly successful. But there's still that you know sort of magic in the room <laughs> that yeah. is really difficult to replace when either maybe you you were used to working that way or um, that's just kind of the mode in which stuff gets kind of banged out, you know? I mean, you can attest to that when you're working with bands in the studio, you know? Yeah, it is funny because, like, I mean, obviously, like, you're friends with the Thrice guys and they talked about how they did their last record, like, all through the collaboration thing. And it's funny that I think it's like, it is for some people really becoming like, oh, I'd rather do it this way. And other people are like, no, 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 this doesn't work for us at all. And it's like, not the way uh, we mesh together. I think it now is becoming more about, like, uh, what ways the personalities find good results that they're happy with. And uh, it's kind of, it's so it's so funny. I'm doing a record like this now, and one member can't stand it, but the rest of us are like, this is the best thing ever. And we're like, then we get that person in the room, and it's like, all of a sudden, it works so much better. And it's like, it's a tough thing to do, because also they can't be in the room because they all live far apart. Yeah. Oh, it's... I think you hit the nail on the head where it's just like how people are comfortable in their workflow. You know, it's like to most normal people that look at what people like you and I do, where it's like, you know, we're involved in, you know, essentially like you know, two or three full-time jobs for, you know, most people, they'd be like, oh, so you just do that. And it's like, well, no, I do this thing too. Like explaining that to most people is weird because, you know, frankly, most people just do one thing, you know, they go to, they go to their work, they do their thing. And then that's cool. And then they have like maybe, you know, a hobby or whatever it is that people call it these days. And so, but like, that's the only mode that you and I can work in, but we've developed these systems in order for it to be, you know, as manageable as it can be when you're, you know, juggling so many things. But that's the only way that anybody can get stuff done is when you have kind of a system in play. And the same thing could be said about, you know, collaborating over the internet or writing and recording. It's like, you can try to, you know, square peg round hole it and try to like get it close, but then at the end of the day, you got to shave off those sides and, you know, get get back to your comfortable space, whatever that means. Nice. That's a real, really good way of putting it. Um, so tell me, so you guys sit in a rehearsal room, you start banging this out, then what happens? Yeah, so we honestly we had five songs at the end of that, and I knew that uh, we really wanted to get just basically three to five songs was my own personal goal, just because I knew from you know working in the music industry for as long as I have, like you know if you're coming out with two songs and it's like cool, <laughs> real real exciting guys, like what's you, you said you were gonna work on new music since like you know six years ago, and it's like <laughs> you get two songs, so I knew that we should have you know something a little more. Uh, meaty to chew on and so basically after we had those songs it was just a matter of then starting to work with our producer engineer guy Bo Burchell who I know you're you know familiar with as well so he yeah great and it, you know not only has been a huge advocate for the band but you know I credit him for really helping pull this thing together um, not only from a production standpoint but just working with everybody on either the ridiculous schedules that they had or being able to understand where we're creatively coming from. Um, and, you know, I mean, when you find that role within a band as a producer and engineer, it's like, oh, dude, like <laughs> it just makes the project so much easier, you know? So Bo started to help us and we started to basically record over the course of like 2016 and then, yeah, uh, yeah basically early, tw early 2017 as well. 
And so, yeah, we just started to piece stuff together. It was like, all right, drums, drums are done. And then, uh, okay, cool. Our guitarist is ha- happens to be in LA for you know a couple days, and he can you know section some time off. So here we go. And uh, so just started to piece it together. And uh, yeah, that's how we you know were able to get what we're, <laughs> as far as we did. So that the next part of the story I read from your bio is that you had initial vocals written for this, but then life got in the way. Yeah, absolutely. It was a. So basically, yeah, my wife got diagnosed with cancer in November of 2016. And by that time, I want to say that basically all of the music was done and I was set to start recording vocals. It was either later that it was either like December-ish, you know, January of 2017. Uh, I could remember the exact timeline, but basically I had all these lyrics, you know, just kind of floating around and was focused on recording those and starting to piecing, piecing them together with the appropriate songs. And then, yeah, like you said, you know, that life happened. And then it was like, I cannot sing this garbage that I wrote, even though, you know, it's not garbage, but it was just irrelevant to me at that point. And so I started to really wrestle around with that idea of like, okay, you know, I don't want to be this, you know, highfalutin uh, concept thing of like, because anytime, and I'm sure you have some... (laughs) some opinions of when bands are coming out just like here's a concept record and it's like oh yeah you're just like oh god like what what do i gotta tackle with now yeah i I think like you know like the one out of the hundred that are good are amazing records but it really is that thing is it's either a 10 or a one usually that's very true yeah very (laughs) yeah it's either yeah home run or like you completely strike out um and so I, I was very nervous about it because I was like, I don't, I don't want the, I want this thing to be about this thing, but I don't want everybody to approach it with this, um, this notion that it is this, you know, overarching concept, and I'm, you know, mining tragedy in order to be the, you know, center of attention, whatever. There's all these like negative aspects that were clanging around in my head. But then at the end of the day, I was like, I can't, you know, I can't not think about this experience. I can't not talk about this. And so, uh, you know, I started to work with the guys in the band and I kind of laid out this idea. I'm just like, all right, you know, I'm going to, I want to do this about, you know, my thought process and my experience in watching, you know, my wife confront death, confront all of the horrible things that kind of come along with, you know, fighting cancer and, um, you know, figuring out what your life means to you and all of these really, really big topics that I, you know, was watching her deal with. And the guys in my band, you know, couldn't be more supportive. They're just like, yes, whatever, whatever it is you want to do. Because at the, you know, they, in the past, they never messed with my lyrics. You know, they basically trusted me to, uh, you know, talk about whatever experiences we were having collectively as a band or me as a person and to be able to, you know, sing about them. And, you know, to their absolute credit and, uh, you know, as a testimony to them as people and our friendships, the fact that they're just like, oh, yeah, like, uh, whatever. That's totally fine, dude. Of course, whatever you want to do. And then I started to work with Bo to be able to, um, you know, hone this in because at the end of the day, it was like, oh, dude, I got to I, I got to write these lyrics in like a month and a half. And I'm, I'm really trying to w- work hard on this. And uh, yeah, so it was a real it wasn't a stressful process like getting the stuff together because it was just a uh, you know a, a, there was a lot of emotions but in order to harness the ideas that i was trying to create and then have people be able to relate to it on a you know experiential level where it's like okay not everybody has experienced cancer but everybody has experienced loss or death or the emotions that come behind someone 
potentially dying in your life. And so, yeah, just working with him kind of hand on hand on that was, uh, was insanely helpful. So yeah, it was, it was, I mean, clearly a weird and stressful time, but, uh, now we have this, you know, EP that encapsulates, encapsulates all of those emotions and ideas. And then now just to be able to share it with people is like, that's just an added bonus of, of people saying, Oh wow, that's a, I, I I relate to it in some capacity. You know, we just released we've released one song, and people are already like, "Oh yes, like I I get that. I understand where you're coming from. I felt the same way, or whatever." Because at the end of the day, art is meant to be shared, and when people are relating to it on either a visceral or emotional level, is you know why we all do what we do. Yeah, and it's it's so interesting what you're saying. So like, I had cancer a couple of years ago, and like I. You know, at the time, I was doing a podcast with Zach, uh, who you know as well, and like I didn't want to talk about it for very similar reasons. Of you're like, I don't want to exploit this. I don't want to like be that person and everything. And it's hard to do, but it's also the other side of it is this is the thing you're thinking about all day. Like I can't imagine what it's got to be like to watch the person you love that much go through that. I mean, for me, it was just like, okay, I I'm a rational, calm person. And this is my own life, but I imagine this is was what was consuming you every hour of the day. And that, it's so funny because, like, I think there's this thing I keep grappling with with punk of that, like, we have so much shame about exploitation and capitalism and all these things. But then there's also the thing that collides with it is, like, well, often then the real life of things is that we have real life demands and stuff like this. And we keep neglecting them for the sake of our pride. And uh, I keep thinking about that a lot lately. Does any of that speak to you? Oh yeah, it was, yeah. I mean, it's the 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 punk rock guilt of uh, well, it, it's not even that. Like the fact that you are you know making money off of art or whatever. But yeah, the notion of uh, of being exploitative over an experience. You know, you don't want to be a cliche of things that have come before you because you realize that that is something that you know no one wants to be. But when you're so hyper aware of everything that is happening, not only within our subculture, but then in pop culture at large. Yeah, you don't want it to seem like this. Um, you don't want it to sound like, you know, some 14-year-old person's diary, you know? like, And and you really do run the risk of, you know, kind of going to the most base levels of way to ways to express yourself because you're in a raw place or, you know, you don't, you don't think you're that eloquent. You don't, you don't feel like you have got a, a good grasp of how to explain this. And so, yeah, I, I completely understand where you're coming from because, um, there, and plus there is that sort of like ego gratification of the fact that like, oh yes, this hor this horrible thing happened. And then, you know, now I can turn the spotlight on myself because, you know, and I have the ability to talk about this now. And, you know, like that clearly feels weird like I, I mean and if it doesn't feel weird you're a sociopath you know like, <laughs> yeah but yeah it, no i i completely agree with you and i think a lot of that comes down to the fact that the way that i viewed what i was going through was like this i i was i'm a passenger you know like i i, I so distinctly remember like some of the first conversations that my wife and I had, like that evening after she got her phone call from her doctor saying like, yes, this is cancer. And, you know, this is, these are the steps that, you know, I, I would recommend and whatever else that, you know, she went over with, with the doctor and I went over with the doctor as well was the fact that I was like, okay, you know, this is your story. Like, 
you people are going to have a million different opinions, not only from your doctors, but you know, family, friends, everybody that cares about you. You know, in the same way that what happens when women are pregnant, everybody has like a million ideas. I'm like, oh yeah, you should like you know wear this stuff around your ankles because then you'll walk easier. You know, it's like (laughs) everyone has an opinion in the same way that everyone has an opinion about how you should handle yourself when you're dealing with something like this. And so giving her, um, you know, me saying that to kind of feel like to give her that ownership over being like, well, yeah, like whatever I choose, like my husband will support me and the person who is, you know, going to be by my bedside as I'm, you know, recovering and, you know, doing everything I need to do to try to stay healthy. And then on top of that, the, uh, the discussions that we were having on, um, just like, Hey, this, like at the end of the day, you, you know, you're the one in jeopardy. I'm okay. I am not the one that is sick. I will be okay. Our, you know, six-year-old son will be okay, as morbid as it sounds. Like, this is something that you just need to worry about your health. Everything else will go on as, uh, you know, as smoothly as possible, knowing that this is a horrific situation, you know? And so I think coupling both of those things and the fact that, like, she's not a very public person, like, you know, she's not on social media, she's a school teacher, um, she doesn't have anything to do with music, um, it felt like me getting out there and telling just a portion of her story was, um, was something that, you know, she frankly was, was never going to do. Um, and that is something that I felt like, like you were talking about just the relational aspect of it, where it's just like, well, it's, this isn't, you know, me trying to exploit it to all of a sudden be a, you know, world famous musician. This is just, you know, simply relating, people to people in this, you know, weird subculture that we are a part of. And, you know, I'm sure some of that resonates with what you were going through and how, you know, you were hesitant to share initially about it. Yeah. I think there's the, 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 the shame is, is good, but it really is the thing of too, like, I think like I'm, I know from some of the interviews you've done that I've enjoyed that, you know, we've enjoyed some of the same things. And I think, uh, like, you know, when I hear born, ag- born against the first time, I'm like, okay, this is somebody saying a greater truth about something that's not always spoken about. And so I think it, what you're doing with this probably is very important to some people who are probably definitely going through or having a loved one in this situation. Yeah. Oh, it, totally. It, it's, you, you think that so many people, you know, have this either well of cultural artifacts to sort through in order to, you know, match the emotion or life situation or circumstance. And, you know, not everybody has that. It, not everybody is as obsessive about the things that you and I are obsessive about. And it you, you don't know how your thing is going to affect a person, you know, um, you know, the, the band taken is not meaningful at all in the large ecosystem of the world or even independent music for that matter. And it's like, you know, some of the questions that people have like sent me in regards to other interviews of like, Oh, like, you know, other bands like, you know, under oath and, you know, like all these massive bands that, you know, are doing return records. Like, how does it feel to be with them? And I'm like, dude, we are nowhere near <laughs> with them at all. Like they're on like next level shit. And we're not anywhere near that. But in that person's mind that was asking that question, it, it probably was, you know? And I can't look at that experience and just be like, oh, whatever, dumb, dumb. Like, <laughs> you don't have no idea what you're talking about. It's like, well, dude, if that's the way, if that's the way you think about it, like, that is unbelievable. And so I, I think ha- not knowing how you're going to affect people um, is, is something that's so 
unbelievably beautiful. And if you kind of cloister or censor yourself based on any of those those weird feelings, that you know should be weird feelings. But ultimately, if you don't express yourself and you're just being this kind of version of yourself out there, then I think you know you're you're maybe not only doing yourself a disservice, but then you know you're taking away the potential experience that other people can have with it. You know, and that's that's really really powerful. Totally, I think that's a great way to put it. So I heard obviously just the first song that you guys have released so far and the first thing I, I that i thought is like okay this is a lot of different few, like uh influences in the hardcore world was there any points while, during the cp that you're like well you know this lyric's a little dark for this or did the music really fit the mood of what you needed to write about as well yeah it's a good question i i think i i never felt that there was anything that uh i, I like couldn't lay over and be like oh this is you know completely you know antithetic to the emotion that the actual song is you know relating from a you know either melodic or you know quiet part or whatever um because i i just i don't know i never really approached any of the way that um you know i did my lyrics previously would taken that way either because like mm. the last ep that we released um you know in 2004 uh, we that was the first time that we really started to like lean into uh, you know more atmospheric delay like everything like that stuff existed in our band but not to the extent of where I felt like it really kind of came to fruition right before we broke up which is of course a perfect time to feel like you're hitting your stride right <laughs> <laughs> yes like, always <laughs> this is this is a really great EP like see you later yes <laughs> and so so yeah I, I think it was just one of those things where. We just, you know, we're for this EP in particular, you know, we're we're adults now. Like we know how to exist in the world, being comfortable in our own skin, not only, you know, as humans, but then as the way that we are all um, you know, musicians in some capacity. And like, yes, of course, other people are are more accomplished from the, you know, nuts and bolts of side of things, but then you know, once we got down to it, it's like, oh yeah, well now you know, here, get my you know rusty fingers out of uh, <laughs> out of out of training, and then now it's like, oh yeah, I, it's like riding a bike, you know. And so, I think yeah, we just leaned into that more, and we just felt more comfortable in everything that we were doing. And so, what I sang about, you know, didn't really feel like it was, you know, in complete contrast to what was happening with the music because it's just like, well, yeah, we're we're an emotional band and we've always kind of been that way. So it didn't feel, uh, I guess, disingenuous or like like we were trying to be something that we weren't. Is there any influences you feel like you guys have really taken on since the last music you made? Um, I would say, I mean, honestly, like the, the one thing that I, I kind of reflect on in watching the you know melodic hardcore kind of progressed because in the early 2000s especially in the scene that we existed in you know or being orange county you know we existed along the same shows as bands like you know bleeding through throwdown 18 visions and you know they the scene in our area like exploded in ways that none of us ever could have ever anticipated but we were always kind of the odd band out because you know we were too uh, you know, not moshy for the moshy crowds. And then we were too, you know, melodic for the people who were looking for non-melodic stuff. And so we didn't really have a sort of brother or sister band that existed in our scene. So we had to kind of like look elsewhere from, you know, bands like This Day Forward, Alexis on Fire, um, you know, For Dire Life's Sake, and a bunch of other bands that we kind of formed relationships with um, towards the end of the band because it was like, oh, wow, other people are doing our weird melodic stuff. Like, that's cool. I didn't, I didn't really know that. 
Um, <laughs> and, but then watching it kind of, you know, evolve over time where it was like, I so distinctly remember getting the first comeback kid record and be like, this is a perfect hardcore record. Like, holy crap. Like this is, a, they've done it. They've, they've combined melody and Mashi. It's like, it's unbelievable. And then continuing, you know, onto where we're at now where it's like, you know, bands like counterparts, pianos become the teeth. Um, so many amazing bands that are just like, wow, like I wish they could have existed when we existed because then I felt like we would have more bands and tour with and play shows <laughs> with and stuff. And so, uh, so I mean, as far as the influences are concerned, uh, I don't, I don't think there's anything cause no one in our band really has like completely ducked out of music, you know, and that, uh, you know, that happens sometimes where it's like people, you know, they get 24, 25 and they're like, Oh yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have time for that. So, and I get it, but no one in our band really kind of, w- with the exception of our drummer, maybe, um, really kind of backed out of music. And so everyone was kind of consuming their own things from, you know, our guitarist Chad has always been super into metal. And so he always kind of continued on that process. Um, and then, you know, I mean, my, my own personal love of like soundtracks and scores, you know, over the past like five or six years, just really, uh, you know, evolved. Um, Nick obviously played in Circa. So everything he was doing with that absolutely influences what he's doing with Taken as well. Um, so yeah, just, you know, I, I kind of equate it back to, more you know adult-like things influencing our lives where it's just like oh yeah now we have families and now we know how the world exists a little bit better than we did when we were you know in our early 20s and just being stupid um so yeah it felt it it ultimately just feels good to be like oh yeah like we can exist in this world of melodic hardcore now and still have bands that are doing this like it would just feel weird coming back in a vacuum and being like oh wow like melodic hardcore died like five you know, five <laughs> years ago or whatever. Um, and so it feels good to be able to be like, oh yeah, like people can hear this and be like, oh, hey, I, I haven't heard you guys before. And like, what, what, what do you got going on? When When's your new CD coming out? And it's mm. like, well, oh, oh. <laughs> like, <laughs> that definitely happened. Like we, you know, we played a bunch of random shows in the, like, you know, 2012, 2013, 2014. And I think what felt really good about like, you know, we would play a show with like, hello, goodbye. We play with like, say Usain, Atreyu, whatever, like friends bands would ask us to play these shows that were special in some capacity. So we did. And what always struck me is the fact that, you know, like 90% of the crowd had no idea who we were, which is awesome. And like, I, we thrive in that sort of environment, um, which was essentially most of our career, (laughs) but having people be like, I've never heard you before. Like, you know, tell me about you guys. And like, these are like, you know, 14 to 16 year old kids. And I, it's like, you know, on one hand, I'm just like, I don't even know where to begin. Like, we're, uh, we're not, we're a band, but we're not a band. Like, you know, I, I don't know what to tell. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Here's our, here's our EP that we released 10 years ago. Like maybe you'll be into it. And so I think that's, that's what ultimately makes it feel really good to exist, you know, in this ecosystem now and not like i said be just this you know completely irrelevant style of music which frankly we probably still would have released anyway just to maybe little little less fanfare and interest from that <laughs> perspective so it it feels good nice so i'm gonna, I'm gonna just be self-indulgent here uh so tell me about your favorite soundtracks and scores since i'm a total nerd for that stuff oh absolutely no i, I that's right i think i i remember hearing uh, of our, our mutual love from that perspective um yeah, I mean, like, uh, I'm trying to think of some of the composers that, well, basically, I got into this stuff once, um, you know, that record label and poster company Mondo started to really get into the vinyl game and release, you know, uh, you know, Lucio Fulci, like all the Italian zombie horror movies that I already loved. And I didn't even really know 
much about them beyond the or from a soundtrack perspective you know bands like goblin and tangerine yes. dream and all that sort of stuff so once i started to dive into that i was like oh my god this is a world like this is incredible um but you know i mean getting uh, and getting fully more fully engaged with like john carpenter and stuff mm-hmm. like that so like all the 80s synth stuff i you know was definitely within my wheelhouse um but then, like, you know, modern composers like, you know, Alexander Desplat and, like, those people, you started to really be like, oh, like, there's a a modern composer. Because most people hear composers in punk and hardcore, and they're just like, the hell are you talking about? Like, why is that cool? And it's like, well, it is pretty cool. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, there's so, a lot of the same vibe. I, I mean, I feel like Goblin is, like, a, like, punk band in attitude when you read those interviews. They were like, fuck this. We hate everything that's happening. Let's do our thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Completely. I mean, there was no way that, uh, I mean, nothing made sense with those dudes. Like, mm-hmm. it, first of all, asking them to score stuff was <laughs> just like, wait, what? How, like, how's that even, how's that even a possibility? But, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's so cool. Cause I mean, and I'm sure you can attest to this too, where it's like, when you start to get into other, you know, subgenres of music and you start to realize that a lot of people who are creating this stuff like came from a more independent minded you know background where it's just like cliff martinez like one of my favorite you know modern composers and did stuff for drive and neon demon and oh, a bunch okay. of other great movies oh wow that's so like, funny i was watching neon demon last night and thinking how good that soundtrack is that's so funny i meant to look but i <laughs> fell asleep before the uh, credits came on yeah 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 cliff cliff martinez yeah and so just hearing hearing people who have a connection to independent music in some capacity and honestly in the same way that so many of these independent composers like there's this guy named Wojciech Gochowski he's this Polish composer that's done like a bunch of and this is just goes to show how nerdy people like you and I can be <laughs> yeah. where this guy this guy puts like creates scores to movies that don't exist so like there's this one lp that he put out called reality check which is basically about a you know team of scientists traveling to a different planet and then he scores this movie that does not exist <laughs> and it sounds insane but it's so goddamn good um and so but yeah but there's no difference between a person like him who you know like it's not like he's asking permission to do this you know mm-hmm. he's just like oh yeah well I, I i'm a musician so this is how i'm going to express myself and it's like yeah not everybody has the luxury of tripping onto a black flag record and all of a sudden being like you know super independent diy punk guy and it's like well this person is just expressing it in a completely different vehicle and he's putting out his own records and like <laughs> it's just it's the same exact thing except it's just not viewed to the punk prism you know that's awesome i put it Hey, I want to tell you real quick about a company I'm involved with now. They're called Manic Merch. What I want you to do is stop selling merch like an idiot. In 10 minutes, you can upload designs and sell merch on your own store with every popular merch item available. Manic Merch will handle the sales, shipping, customer service issues, so you can be free to create and not be bothered while still profiting the way you would if you did it yourself. Manic Merch is perfect for musicians, movies, YouTubers, podcasts, meme makers, startups, and anyone else who has good ideas for merch designs. Let me tell you a little bit more. You can set up a store in minutes for no money down. Other merch companies make you order a ton of merch first. You can sell to your customers and only pay for the merch that gets printed. That's how we keep rates so low. Fans buy more merch when they get to choose how to express themselves. Once you upload a design, a fan can put it on any merch item they want, as well as any color they want, and all sorts of things like hoodies, lighters, etc., etc. You can set your own price and choose how much you profit. 
You can lower prices if you want to sell more, raise them if you want to make more. You also get the email of every single person who buys from you. So you can email everyone when you have new releases. You could also track sales and you get paid on time each month. I really encourage you to check out Manic Merch. I think what we're doing is really cool. So without any further ado, here's the podcast. Cool. All right. Let's shift gears into some of the other things you do. So um, I think everybody's always wondering where podcasts going. And you seem like a very good person to ask this since this is some of your job at mid-roll. Um, what do you see in the future of podcasting? It's always... Well... I'll answer that in two fashions. So one, because, you know, since you and I exist in the the music podcast world, music podcasts are always going to be in such a weird place because music is so uh, personal, you know, mm. like you experience this just as much as I do, where, you know, if I have a certain guest that plays in a certain band, people are already either going to have an opinion about that band and the person's art. Um, and then they're going to maybe not listen to the show mm-hmm. just because it's just like, Oh dude, I hate that band. And it's like, I mean, fortunately, you know, the the show that I've been able to build and the trust with the audience where it's like people will generally speaking come along for whatever ride I'm putting them on, um, which is awesome. But, and because people are that are telling the stories that have come from the world that we come from, like, you know, I there's been so many times where I've been pitched a person where it's just like, um, and I don't know why I use this guy as a random example, but it's like, you know, Kellen Quinn, the vocalist mm-hmm. of Sleeping with Sirens, like, you know, dude lives in Southern California. Like, I've been offered him up before, and you know, I've heard him on other shows, and like, you know, seems like an interesting guy, but. I just I know that the history within the context of independent music, not saying that everybody needs to pass through like you know the cred prism or whatever, but like you know i I would probably sit with him for about twenty to thirty minutes and I would be like, okay, so I've exhausted all my questions. like I, I, I just don't really know where to go. But anyways, point being that music is always very personal. and people, you know, there have been few music podcasts that have really broken out to the more mainstream successful. Uh, perspective beyond like song exploder you know that's the yes. one i always point to that you know hirakesh did a great job because he just made his platform very music agnostic it's like he'll have a pop star and then you know one of his earlier episodes he did converge and yes. i mean he doesn't do that doesn't do that anymore but <laughs> <laughs> yes that's actually that was... a very good point that, that that has not gone that way in quite a long time no, no, I think, but you know, he comes from the world that we come from. I mean, did 1am radio and he's essentially a punk and hardcore kid. And I think that's kind of why his, that show was able to, I mean, not just because he's a punk and hardcore kid, because he has, uh, you know, amazing guests come on and, you know, really gets to the bottom of why these songs exist and what have you. But there's going to be very few shows that really kind of transcend that just because people are going to, especially the interview perspective. So I think music podcasts are always going to be uh, really uh, niche and uh, very personal to people as they kind of come across it. But now you're seeing shows that are doing kind of a, a mishmash of genres, whether it's like, you know, there's this awesome, awesome true crime slash music podcast called Disgraceland. And, uh, yeah, it's ve- y- y- just knowing your taste from this conversation and previous, <laughs> uh, circlings around, uh, you'll love this, but basically it's, uh, they just, they take, they take these, you know, really, really, uh, you know, salacious things that have happened in music, whether it's like, uh, you know, Elvis Presley, uh, you know, uh, Sam Cooke, I'm trying to think of some of the other, uh, he did one on Norwegian black metal, um, and so, I mean, it's only maybe about seven or eight episodes in, but it's it's approached the uh, the way that 
you know, many of these true crime podcasts are extremely successful. And so the fact that they can put a music twist on it uh, is really cool. But anyways, so that's kind of our sort of selfish, self-serving what's happening with podcasts. I just think it's always going to be a uh, a passionate niche, if it were. But podcasts is just, it, it continue. I've never worked in an environment which is just so ripe for growth. Like, mm. and I, I just, I mean, granted, it's like, you know, whatever, worked at record labels for years and like have worked in these, you know, and I've worked in record labels when like music was actually selling. Mm-hmm. But I've just never, the the appetite for, um, you know, content from that perspective and how people can find like, you know, whatever subject you're passionate about, there's going to be a show about it, you know, and there's going to be a person who is either, you know, more well-read, well-versed at the subject. So you feel like you're actually learning something. Um, and it's incredible to have that sort of wide variety where people don't have to just, you know, turn on the radio and, and veg out anymore. Um, and so, and the only reason that people don't know about podcasts is because it's, you know, they can't press a button in their car yet. Mm-hmm. And that, but that's happening, you know, mm. it's like, it's happening to a point where it's, you know, in, in most cars that are coming out over the next, you know, five to seven years, there's going to be, you know, a podcast button in which stuff will be shot out at them that they'll be able to, you know, kind of curate their experience of they're like, oh, I, I like shows that sound like This American Life or whatever. And then they'll get, you know, 10 shows that sound exactly like that um, and not just like NPR based shows or whatever. So the the barriers are coming down for more and more people to get into stuff. And, you know, because I mean, I'm sure you were listening to podcasts when you actually like had to download them on your computer and put them on your iPod. And it's like, <laughs> it's the worst. It's, it's, it's the worst. And so now that that doesn't exist, more and more people are just, you know, the floodgates are opening. Um, it's like <laughs> I was reading a study. This was done like a couple months ago, but where it was like the the people that said that they consume podcasts, um, you know, jumped up. Uh, it's like you know, thirty to forty percent year from you know twenty seventeen to this year, um, mm. and then the amount of podcasts that people consumed, um, you know, went up from like you know three to five to like seven to ten. And so it's like you know these are numbers that are just like you know doubling. And it's mm. like oh this is crazy. And then from an advertising perspective. It just it it blows my mind because people are straight up like secret millionaires. Like people are making, uh, you know, I'm not just making this about the money, but it's just it's it's crazy how many people are frankly not being advertised to, and that's why mm. the podcast advertising is working. Where it's like, oh hey, you want to speak to a person who like liter- literally does not watch live television, does not listen to radio, um, you know, ignores subway ads, and like. <laughs> It's like, where do you get these people? And it's yeah, like, oh, but highly influential people too that are telling everybody else what to do. Totally, totally. And it's like, you know, oh, oh you're gonna, you know, do a YouTube pre-roll, and it's <laughs> like, oh yeah, that's real effective. Like, no one, people are annoyed by that, you know. Yeah, and and, and I so, have YouTube Red. Right, dude, <laughs> exactly. And so there's all these these fashions in which people uh, have eliminated ad- advertising from their life, and uh, you know, but yet those are still like insanely big industries you know it's Mm. like podcast advertising from a sort of pie chart perspective is still so so small but it's still so so massive in my head to where i'm just like i can't even believe the sort of growth from that perspective so i just think it's going to continue to grow the amount of creative energy that's being put into it um not only from just like a original content perspective and then it's like, I mean, the company that I work for, it's like, we just did a Wolverine podcast, like, you know, an oh, wow. eight part podcast that um, is unbelievable. Like you listen to it and you're just like, dude, in my, you know, 11 year old brain, 
having like an eight part, you know, well acted <laughs> series. That's like, it's like, that's, I can't even believe this is happening. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, so it's the, the amount of attention and eyeballs is only going to make it uh, more and more engaging to where people like have to reckon with it. You know, people that are, are not tech savvy are going to have to be like, so we're like, how do I get that? Like, that sounds amazing. I have to listen to that in some capacity. And so it's, uh, it's nothing but exciting. And I, I just, I've, I've never been a part of something like that before. And, and to be kind of, you know, a very, 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 very minor player at it is, uh, is really, really cool to just watch people being, re- at the end of the day, you want people to care about stuff. And it's like, mm. people care about this. And it's like, that's great. This is awesome. That's rad. Um, and you yeah. know, you're making such an interesting point with the music thing is like, you know, I talk to so many people who will listen to anyone who's on Mark Marin, And to me, I'm like, okay, I feel like I hear the same story on that, but some people like that story. But I've seen no one who's been able to bridge that gap with music because everybody does that Marin type thing with music. You're like, oh, I only listen to the episodes they have somebody I like on. And it's like, well, <laughs> yet you yeah. listen to Mark Marin interview anybody. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, totally. So, I mean, I, I'm a Marin devotee, and I listen to you know every single one of his episodes, and it's... Uh, I mean, I, you know, I'm whatever, three months behind, but it's like, I'll get around to it eventually. But, um, yeah, I think uh, I, I, the, to me, the, the fun part, and I'm sure this happens to you too, when you have a person on who, um, you know, like car- carries a lot of weight from a, either reputation precedes them or their band is terrible. So most people are just like, oh gosh, this is awful. Why would I ever listen to that? <laughs> but then like the people that do trust it and are just like, yeah, I'll listen, I'll listen to what this person has to say. And it's like, oh, that's like, wow, that's very interesting. I never knew that this person, you know, played in terrible punk band before or whatever. Like they just have those (laughs) little similarities that people can relate to. And I think that, um, I I think that the more people that kind of trust that, that process of like, okay, this is like, you know, I am deliberately doing this for like, you know, for you, like, I, I want you to like learn about this, whether it's, you know, you may not like the band, but they, this, this person has a really interesting story and, you know, they have similar principles to, you know, you or whatever. Um, and so I, I think that, like I said, it's just, it's always going to be a struggle from that perspective of getting people to be engaging with it on a week to week basis. But, you know, I think the community that we have built, you know, like whatever the 20 some odd podcasts that exist in our world from, you know, lead singer syndrome to turn out a punk, like, you know, all of the shows that most people have either tangentially heard about or regularly consume, they all are kind of doing their own thing in the same way that, you know, bands do it. And I think that, you know, the, the high tide raises all ships sort of scenario where it's like, oh yeah, as long as you're being consistent about it, then people will find the shows that they really engage with. And then if they do start to follow along with every single episode, then maybe they'll start to be like, Hey, you know what? Like I can listen to noise creators and I'll listen to like all the episodes Mm -hmm. as opposed to just the, you know, picking out the ones that I, I want or whatever. Totally. I think that's a great point. Yeah. You know, what's funny is I found, 99% 99% invisible because you had him on. I was like, oh, if he's punk, then I'll check out his show. And then he seemed like Dude. such a rad guy on the, your episode. <laughs> and then I started listening. I was like, I ignored the record. I mean, I got told to listen to that podcast 9,000 times. I'm like, design, I don't fucking care about that. I'm like practically <laughs> blind. I'm like, why would I listen to that? And then I like hear your episode and then I listen to it. I'm like, I'm an idiot. Oh, dude. I No, I'm, this, I'm very much the same way. It's like when you... If you present to me a person in the you know secret punk category, I'm just like, oh, dude, I am all on board. Like, mm-hmm. I, I whatever art that they're doing, like, I will be so much more interested in it because they're and not only from like a self-serving, like, oh, I oh, you always want to have like-minded people around you, but it's like I I just I believe so greatly in the fact that now that this music scene has come of age, where people 
you know, between the ages of, you know, whatever, late 20s to, you know, early 40s are now in positions of quote unquote power mm-hmm. where they're, they can get their art out to a lot of people and people that have no context for this scene that we care so much about are being influenced by it and they don't have any idea. Yep. No, <laughs> like, no, that's totally true. I, I, like I love Mr. The, the Mr. Exa- Mr. Robot's such a great example of that. Of like, it's like a, it's all this punk ethics, all these things, and people don't even realize it's punk. <laughs> no, true, and and like, dude, like I always look like the Tim Tim and Eric show, like Eric mm, Wareheim. Yeah, yeah, like, totally. You know, dude played an ink and dagger, yeah. and like he'll never want to talk about it, and it bums me out so much because I was like, you played fucking ink and dagger, dude. Like I want you to talk about it to somebody. Mm. Um, that's why uh, I, t- but, I talked to him about it at a party one time because I we, my band used to play with the dagger all the time. It was like so funny. Right. It was like he was stoked to do it at a party, but I could see him not doing it in the press. Oh yeah, it, it, it just yeah yeah it's such a bummer because it's like I mean he, yeah his his sensibility and his uh, comic nature, especially with, mm-hmm. you know with everything he does with uh, you know with with Tim, it's just like. Uh, it's so punk. Like there's nothing mm, yes. that's more punk than what it is that they do. So, but yeah, I just, I love, like you said, the sort of, you know, the, the secretly influenced, uh, you know, DIY mentality that, uh, most people get infected with now. And then they have no idea. I mean, of course there's like, you know, the total culture vulture people who are just like, Oh yeah. Like I've seen the crimson ghost. So of course I'm going <laughs> to exploit it in some capacity, but, uh, you know, that always exists anytime some, something gets commodified over and over. But, there, you know, at the end of the day, there will always be people bubbling up that have been, you know, really influenced by something and are building it, you know, by their own, you know, hands and brain power and, you know, sweat equity and everything they're putting into it. It's just like, oh, it's so great that that exists. I'm totally with you. So let's shift gears to your production management. Um, I know there's a lot of aspiring producers and kids like that who listen to the show. Uh, what makes you take notice of a producer and what makes you want to work with them? I mean, for me, just because I don't do it from like a full-time hustle perspective, like, you know, basically I rep, uh, I have two producers and then, uh, well, one producer I've been working with for years and years and then two recent acquisitions. So I, I rep Bo Rochelle, like I said, you know, who played guitar on Seosin and, you know, recorded all the Taken stuff. And that's why I knew him. And when he came to me to work together, I never wanted to manage bands. So like this seemed like a perfect opportunity where it's like, okay, I can work with one person who's an adult who isn't going to call me at like four in the morning because their van broke down, like every cliched band manager story that happens. And so I was like, this, this seems reasonable enough. Like, let's try this out. And, you know, within whatever, a year, we were up and running to where he was, you know, booked with stuff he cared about and working with, you know, bands that he enjoyed, which is ultimately all he wanted to do to begin with. And so, you know, after working with him for a couple of years, I was like, okay, I could probably try to work with somebody else. And so late last year, I picked up this guy named Eric Stenman, um, who he did were basically he was like Red Red Bull Records or in-house producer for. So, but yeah, he was basically, you know, working there forever. And then, you know, AWOL Nation blew up and, you know, he was a huge hand on that. And so now he's basically Aaron from AWOL Nation's, um, you know, in-house engineer and he records whatever they need and stuff. And so he just started to kind of tip his toe back into like, oh, I can do bands of my own and I have the access to a studio and stuff. So, um, you know, that's a work in progress. But uh, the only reason I'm laying all this stuff out is just not, um, is to illustrate the sort of, accidental accidental nature in the path that many of these people take where they're like oh i don't i don't really know about like you know do i need a producer manager before like i build you know my my resume or whatever and it's like you're never you're never going to know until you start actually doing something whether you need help 
uh, to, beyond just you know the uh, nuts and bolts of you actually knowing how to engineer and produce and stuff like that. Um, but so like I mean, what I look for is just like a, a person who's obviously responsible. Um, it's so much it's so much easier to work with the person who is has the capabilities of handling things on their own and not just being like, oh, that's that's like not my area of expertise or like, oh, I can't do that. And it's like, no, like there are so many times where, you know, I book everything for Bo and everything's locked in and, you know, there are certain like I'm not going to get involved in, you know, sending out like mixed notes and like do mm. I'm like, do, I don't want to do that because mm. all I'm doing is muddling the process. Yeah. I'm like, I don't want to play a game of telephone. Um, and so, yeah, people that are responsible have their stuff together. Um, you don't need to have this like huge resume of projects in order to, you know, maybe get the attention of somebody. Um, but you know, you should have at least, you know, three to five amazing projects that are like, you're really proud of and you're like, oh yes, like I can show the growth of this band via this record or whatever like even if it's a baby band to be like oh yeah like you know here's here's this unpolished demo that you can play you know for the the industry side of things not just to like <laughs> put up on a a b test on your website be like mm-hmm. oh hey here's how terrible this band was before they worked with me um, <laughs> which would be an interesting experiment but yeah <laughs> a mean one nonetheless yes <laughs> But uh, yeah, so yeah, get, get your body of work underneath you. You don't have to have like, you know, seven years of experience, but, um, you know, just get get your chops going. Um, and then ultimately I have a, you know, I, I think the people that have uh, some semblance of their own studio or a studio that is, you know, insanely cheap for them as far as a day rate is concerned, just really, really helps. Um, it's not going to, because, you know, most record labels don't have huge budgets. So if you're like, all right, it's going to be $10,000 for this producer. And then they're like, all right, cool. And then you're like, all right, so it's about seven grand for the studio, and they're just like, what? We don't yeah. have that. <laughs> we don't have that sort of money too. It's like, yeah, you have to you have to consider all those things. So, um, yeah, those those are good kind of you know thought thought starters for people who are you know looking to uh, build their rep, so to speak. Nice, um, cool. So why don't you tell us what you have going on in the future? The uh, from a taken perspective, yeah, we're just releasing that EP on other people records at the end of April, and then uh, we're playing a hometown show in May at Chain Reaction, and then uh, we're just looking for other fun opportunities. Like we're probably going to do some Midwest dates at some point in the summer, and then we're looking to get to the East Coast um, at some point in the fall, maybe uh, kind of around the uh, pending Japanese tour that we're we're kind of putting together right now, as far as the time frame is concerned. Because let's be honest, like anytime we get to go to Japan, like I'll always do it, like ninety nine percent of the time. Yeah, it's just the unbelievable culture over there. Um, and the just amazing people, amazing shows over there. So that's kind of what's happening with Taken. Uh, the podcast, you know, is just keep keep on keeping on. Like it's at such a good level where um, I do, you know, I, I I make money off of it, but it's not so uh, high pressure where um, I feel like I just don't feel like it's work, even though mm. it technically is. Like you know, I I got my process of like, all right, Mondays. I gotta, you know, edit, do the first pass of an edit, and then, you know, Tuesdays I'm I'm listening to that edit and kind of tightening it up, and then Wednesday I publish it, and but I I'm able to bank enough content to where I've got like you know a month's worth of shows as opposed to, you know, I think the stress comes in when you know you don't have a person for that week and you're just like crap, it's Monday, I gotta put this up on Thursday, like ugh, that's I don't want to be in that spot, um, so yeah, so that that's kind of what's happening with the show and just continues to provide value to me and then obviously the people that listen to it uh, enjoy it on some capacity as well um 
and then uh, yeah, just keep on keep on keeping on with the uh, the the mid roll side of things too. And it's just uh, it's just so interesting to watch where everything continues to go because now we're shifting over from a lot of people uh, from an advertising perspective. A lot of people who are your kind of like typical advertisers of podcasts, whether it's like Casper, Audible, you know, HelloFresh, like all the companies that if you're an avid podcast listener, you're already very familiar with. And then now I'm just seeing so many more huge brands be involved, whether it's like, you know, Coca-Cola and, you know, Walmart and all these companies where it's just like, what the Walmart's buying podcast ads? Wow. That's insane. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. And I know this because I, I work at this company. Like they, they did their own podcast. They did like a six part podcast on like, you know, logistics, which of course sounds like huh. the most boring thing of all time, which it was because they produced it and they didn't do a very good job at it. But um, yeah, but it's just crazy. Like the amount of people who are showing interest, but because ultimately <laughs> all the, all that's happening is podcasts are, you know, sexy and cool. So it gets up to the marketing person of one of these, you know, mega corporations. And then they're just like, Hey, we got to get on this podcast game. Like, let's figure this out. It's like, you know, and they've got nine kajillion dollars to spend in a month. And so they're just like, Oh yeah, we'll throw like $200,000 at this like cute little project. And it's like, what? <laughs> okay. I guess we'll, I guess we'll figure this out. So, but yeah, it's just crazy. So it just, just continuing to watch that grow as well. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember the golden rule of the internet, that if you enjoy something you got for free, please tweet, Facebook, share, or tell your friends about it in whatever way you like to do that. Please check out Noise Creator's website and take a look around. We have tons of interviews, discographies, Spotify playlists from all the best producers out there on our service. If you're unsure about who your band should work with, we can help you get the best producer fit for your record. To keep up with us, follow at Noise Creators on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, Tumblr, or Facebook. This podcast can be also be found wherever podcasts are found, including iTunes and Stitcher. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon. I can be found on Twitter at Jesse Cannon or at jessecannon.com. Again, please help spread the word about this podcast and what Noise Creators does so we can keep this going. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.